It will be good for us, as always, to have our Bibles ready tonight in the book of Matthew, chapter 22. This is a familiar text. You will remember it as soon as I begin to read. This is in that part of Matthew's account where the Pharisees and Sadducees were strangely united. They were united on one platform, opposition to Jesus. But there came a time documented here near the end of chapter 22 when they gave up with their loaded questions and moved on to more violent means. This is Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. During the time of Jesus' work on the earth, as he spoke the truth from God, his enemies were constantly after him. They wanted to get him to say something they could use in their vain efforts to discredit him and to gain the favor of their followers. The Pharisees were bad about this early on because the Pharisees had built a huge religious empire and they had many followers. They held great power and they immediately saw Jesus as a threat to their power and their pocketbook. So these men conspired and stayed up all night, worked on questions and arguments with one driving purpose to catch Jesus and boast of their victory. And at this point, they joined with their enemies. The Pharisees and Sadducees joined together based on one platform of unity, their opposition to Jesus. And of course, opposition to Jesus means opposition to God. Here's the problem. Nobody has ever discredited God. There is no argument. There is no trick question. There's no puzzle you can put before deity and win. God cannot be defeated ever by any sophistication or combination of human debate tactics. Yet the inevitable defeat doesn't seem to stop foolish men from trying to discredit the Son of God and God himself. So one of their finest religious scholars, I suppose, stepped up and he thought he had the question, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? You can almost hear the tone and see the countenance of this man 
and those behind him. I don't know why they thought this question would baffle Jesus. I can't answer that. Perhaps some thought that Jesus would offer a complicated response and they would argue against his complicated response. Or maybe some expected he would have no answer. But here's the beauty of truth from God in its simplicity. Jesus replied perfectly with a two-part answer. Perfectly capturing truth. Part one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Part two, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Everything is covered. Nothing left unsaid. What are you going to do with that? Now, if you're in a debate with Jesus and you ask which is the greatest commandment in the law, and he gives this answer documented by Matthew, what are you going to do with that? There is no error, there's no inconsistency, there's no complexity to it. Everything has been said that could be said. You have nothing to object to. Jesus is 100% correct in his response. So, you look back into the text of Matthew here to see what happened to discover the response and the religious scholar could offer no rebuttal. As the Pharisees were still dumbfounded, joined with the Sadducees, Jesus seized the opportunity. He was not only perfect in stating truth, he was perfect in seizing opportunity. And he did that here. What do you think of the Christ? Any who were present with good and honest hearts knew at this moment what they needed to think of him. He speaks the truth. He is the truth. But his enemies continue to resist him. I want to focus on Jesus' answer, which informs us of his pure and undefiled religion, of serving God and serving others. And my emphasis tonight will be on how serving, as described here, contributes to our life discipline while we're here, strengthens us, builds us up, and then, of course, secures our acceptance by God now. And if we continue to serve God and serve others faithfully, our acceptance by God after a while in heaven. So as we go through this study, my hope is each one of us will be involved in the self-inquiry that needs to be involved every time we open the book and see what it says. Am I serving God? That's first. And then, am I serving others? First of all, throughout the Bible, in every dispensation or period of history, patriarchal, mosaic, after Christ, serving God has the highest place. Religion in the Bible is not about making us rich or perpetually happy or perfectly healthy. It is about serving our Creator. Over and over, this is the theme of man's required response to the Creator. 
Many passages could be cited. I'll give you a few just quickly. Daniel 6 and verse 20. The king correctly described Daniel as a servant of the living God. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 18. The prophet makes a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. And as he explains that, he says, one is serving God and the other is not serving God. In Matthew 6, 24... You may remember that Jesus said you cannot serve God and money. Or in 1 Thessalonians 1 in verse 8, the Gentiles turned from idols to do what? To serve the living and true God. And Hebrews 9, 14, Christ gave his life to purify us from dead works. To do what? To serve the living God. And Joshua 24, 15, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Joshua said. So it's in my Bible, it's in your Bible, it's in the Old Testament and the New Testament, everywhere, everything about man's response to God is about serving God. And as we use the Bible to instruct that good service, we become engaged in the details of what it means to serve God. And we become people of good spiritual discipline, stability and perseverance and good character and wholeness in the biblical sense. All these passages I've given make it clear that serving God, obeying God, forms within us this wholeness of good discipline. We glorify God, we honor Christ and and obey Him to escape the condemnation of sin, have good discipline here on earth, and then go to heaven. But in serving God, there is value here on earth we can enjoy now in the development of good, whole life discipline. But now, there's another set of passages that attach something to serving God. Just as many passages speak of serving others. Once you see what's first, then you see what that involves. Serving God involves serving others. Jesus taught his disciples about this in a very dramatic scene recorded in John 13. And in the climax of that scene, he said, If I then... Your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus was not establishing a religious ritual or a ceremony. He's illustrating the worth of serving others. And then you have all the other passages that flow from that. Through love, serve one another. Galatians 5.13. Serve one another. 1 Peter 4.10. Serving the saints. Hebrews 6 and verse 10. Be submissive to one another. 1 Peter 5 and verse 5. So serving God... And serving others, that's what we do in life. And it forms within us good, strong, consistent, 
discipline in life while we're here. Self-control, maturity, humility, courage, balance. All the elements of good life discipline result when we start by serving God and then as a product of that, we serve others. Someone at this point might ask in the initial study of this, maybe somebody reading this the first time. So somebody might ask, what is it all about serving God or serving others? And the response is, there is no or. It is both. Listen to Jesus again. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Can I bring up one simple word? I guess it's already on the chart there and I have emphasized it. And Jesus speaks of loving God and loving others, both are essential. Can you look at your life and are you satisfied that you love God and you're serving Him, but you're also loving others and serving them according to God's directions? See, the question is, am I serving God and as a product of that, serving others. So, I want to bring up four things before I quit as further thought and application of what Jesus taught when he responded to the United Pharisees and Sadducees in Matthew 22. Number one, these two things are not in conflict. If your purpose is to serve God and you live diligently in pursuit of that purpose, that kind of mindset and the behavior it produces will equip you to serve others in the best possible way. There is no conflict except the conflicts that men may imagine or create or propose. Arguments may be offered something like this. I want to serve people but not God. I'll talk more about that later. Or someone might offer the other end of that. I want to serve God, but I want to have nothing to do with people. See, that's a manufactured dichotomy. Reading the Bible, you will discover God has attached some things that we cannot disattach or unattach. There is no conflict between these two, serving God and serving others. The first, the highest one, trains and equips you for the second. Now, as you're serving God, there may be some you're trying to serve who don't like the fact you're serving God, but that doesn't dismiss that these two things have been attached. Serving God and serving others. The two are not in conflict. Number two, one leads to the other. If you determine in your heart that you will serve God, as you engage in that service to God, you're going to be drawn into number two. You're going to be drawn into serving your fellow man, the second thing Jesus brought up. That will happen. And I would say this, 
all the instructions God has given to us about how to live and how to serve Him lead us to serve and help others effectively. If you divorce God, you're going to be ill-equipped, I would argue, to serve others fully and effectively. And in fact, God speaks to His people through commands to serve others. You heard some of these passages earlier, like Galatians 5.13, through love, serve one another. And of course, Jesus said in our text, the second great command is to love your neighbor as yourself. So as we become engaged, responding to our Creator in the manner He has described, depending upon the atonement of Christ, responding to the teachings of the apostles, that's all going to equip us to help others and serve others in the best sort of way. Number three, both are essential. I alluded to this earlier. I want to explain further now. What we're talking about this evening is not multiple choice. It is not cafeteria style where you pick out one of those two. Remember, Jesus used that little word and to attach them. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the problem we should have with what I'm going to call temporal humanitarianism. Now, I don't mean to be complicated, but there's something that can be called temporal humanitarianism. And it's this, helping people but without any acknowledgement, any regard to the one who made people. In other words, you detach yourself from any idea of serving God and you just devote yourself to temporal, temporary, humanitarianism. There are atheists who claim to be thoroughgoing humanitarians who in fact do give generously to help poor people and educate young people, but they never talk to them about where they're headed when they die. So we can encourage philanthropy, but we cannot believe or assume that philanthropy and temporal humanitarianism by itself has eternal redemptive value. It leaves out the better part of the equation. You cannot leave God out and deceive yourself into thinking that your well-doing here on earth is sufficient. According to Jesus, both are essential. And one has priority. Serve God and serve others. Number four, serving God and others is a personal discipline. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, I'm going to start at verse 1. In 2 Timothy chapter 2. Every time I preach about personal discipline, I wind up in 2 Timothy chapter 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, 
entrust a faithful man who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. How was Timothy strengthened by grace while he was here doing his work and living his life on earth? How was he strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus? By ignoring God and focusing only on serving others? No. He became a strong, disciplined man by serving God and serving others. He preached the gospel serving God. He preached the gospel to others serving their needs. That illustrates how these two things are combined. Our obedient service to God first and then to others. It delivers into our lives the self-control, the discipline, and the maturity we need to develop from now until we die. Now, if you reverse these and put serving others first, you will not serve God effectively because He ranks above others. He is the creator of us and others. So, here's what the Lord said. Here's what the Lord said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So, as we've been through this, have you asked yourself about these things we've studied? Am I serving God? And as a part of that, and a result of that, out of that service to Him, am I serving others? Here's another way to approach that. Do we claim to be followers of Christ? He served God, and He served others. So you can work that from the command in Matthew 22, or you can work it from the one who gave the command. And either way, you come out with serving God and serving others. I cannot make it look easy all the time, but I can tell you it is urgent. I can tell you it's possible, and I can tell you that is is essential if you want to go to heaven. I leave the challenge with you and with me as we stand together to sing. Jesus.